Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the 46th episode of Emetzian Podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. This is Rich Sparago. I'll be your host tonight, known as MetFanRich on Twitter or Mets Killing Me, um, which uh, you know, the season hasn't started yet, so they haven't had an opportunity to do that. So we're looking forward to a fun-filled show tonight, an action-packed show. Um, we have a special guest whom I will introduce in just a moment, but before introducing our guest, I'd like to bring on one of my co-conspirators in the podcast, hailing from the wonderful borough of Brooklyn, Mr. Mike LaColent. Mike, how are you tonight, sir? I am doing well, my friend, and uh, let's uh, talk Mets baseball. Sounds like a plan to me, and we have some help in doing that. Oh, before, uh, before we get to the help in doing that, I've noticed that our other co-conspirator in the Metsian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike has joined us. So, Sam Maxwell... I said Mike was hailing from Brooklyn. I never know where you're hailing from. Where are you hailing from this evening? <laughs> well, I'm actually, you know, come now that you mentioned it, Rich, I'm actually going through your uh, state right now on my way. Uh, I, I have to go through Connecticut to eventually get upstate uh, uh, later on. But, that, yeah, it's funny that we're bringing up on location. I am currently passing Fairfield, Connecticut. Well, you're a stone's throw away from me, Sam. So uh, next time you do that, maybe we could we could jump in a coffee shop and do this live. That sounds like a plan, a Metzian plan, in fact. <laughs> there you go. And with all that said, Sam, it's, uh, we weren't sure if you were going to join us tonight. We were hoping, and it's great to have you. So now that the gang is all here, we have a member of the gang that I'd like to introduce. Um, I'm very pleased to introduce Anna Bryce, who will be joining us tonight. A couple words about Anna. Anna is the founder and principal of her own marketing services company named Pinnacle Peak, Mar- Pinnacle Peak Marketing. Sa- um, Anna is a passionate Mets fan and watches every single game, every season, win or lose. She is also a devout Rangers fan and a big fan of golfer Phil Mickelson. Now, to show the broad breadth of, uh, of listeners that we have here on the Metsian podcast, Anna hails from... Arizona. So uh, she found us all the way out there. So, Anna, I'm going to leave it there and ask you to talk about yourself a little bit. We like to call it the shameless plug. Tell us about yourself. Tell us um, how you became a Mets fan, your Metsian journey, and what brought you from the New York City area. It says here you were born in Greenwich Village. So what brought you from Greenwich Village to New Jersey all the way out to Arizona? Absolutely. Hello, gentlemen. Really nice to join you. Thank you very much for asking me to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. 
Um, I started coming out here to Scottsdale, Arizona, and that's where I live, Scottsdale. And in answer to your question before we went on air, it is 73 degrees today. So it's actually pretty nice. A little colder than yesterday. Yesterday was 85, but still really, really nice. And I've been coming out here since 1993. First time I came out was to visit a friend, and I fell in love with it out here. Reason I fell in love with it is you walk out your door every day, and it's a big blue sky. And it's just cheery. And like when I pull out of my road to go anywhere, I'm at the stoplight, and right in front of me, there's like 10 hot air balloons up in the air. And I have to pinch myself, and I say, this is my commute. I love this. So I really love being out here. Everybody's really nice. It is very different than New York people. They're really, really nice out here, and I have to really remind myself that, you know, I'm with Arizona people, and I can't do my New York, New Jersey thing. I have to kind of calm it down a little bit. Um, they don't have good bagels out here. They don't have good pizza. Um, Italian food's getting a lot better, but pizza is still, eh. You know, they have great gourmet pizza, but not just regular, normal pizza. So that's, you know, a bit of a bummer. And when I go back east, I really love getting just a slice. And um, you pretty much covered it. I'm a huge Rangers fan as well, and I'm a big Phil Mickelson fan. Uh, I was actually at the Masters on hole 18 when he won his first ever major, and it was the best thing ever, Um, although my favorite uh, championship. And then I'm a big George Strait fan, so New Jersey people who love George Strait and country music. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anna. And it sounds like you're enjoying your your time in Arizona, your relocation out there. And it sounds like you found something you really love. There you go. That's wonderful. Yes. So moving moving to the Mets. Actually, I want to do something a little broader than the Mets at this point. And I'm going to ask everybody for comment. You know, you can't have a conversation with anyone these days, even children, and not talk about coronavirus. I mean, that's all everybody talks about. We know what's going on, right? But as it relates to sports, and more particularly the Mets, there has been talk in the NBA, it's been out there, that maybe they would try to play games with no fans in the stands to prevent potential risk, right, or of spreading. And going a little further to baseball, um, while I have not heard anything of that nature in baseball, what I have heard is that, Certain teams, and the Mets are one of them, are asking the players, not requiring, but asking the players not to accept pens and balls and posters and things, not to touch anything that the fans have touched to sign. Like if they want to sign some baseballs before the game and toss them in the stands, that's great. But they've been asked, not required, as I said, to avoid contact with the fans. So, um, Mike, I'll start with you here. What, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if this thing is going to, hopefully it does go away in the very near future, but, but let's just say four weeks from now, you know, that we've played a few, bi- a few games that count, the season has started, and unfortunately the coronavirus is, is affecting a lot more people, and Major League Baseball decides to do that. They decide to say, look, we're going to play these games, 
No fans in the stands. Watch them on TV. This is a pandemic. We have to. We have to do. Mike, how would you react to that? So many different ways. I mean, first and foremost, what sticks out in my mind is that we're so woefully undereducated about the subject. We hear a lot of things, uh, and it's hard to keep track of what. What is, what is exactly the truth in this matter? Uh, we hear people uh, understating the virus. At the same time, we hear people overstating the effects of this virus. Uh, and, and then there's the extremes, uh, complete and utter panic uh, versus non-action and, to put it frankly, apathy. So you know what? I'm not I'm not sure. But what I do know is that we need to be better educated as to what we're dealing with. Uh there's something very real going on, uh, obviously. Uh but the powers that be and I do mean government, local, state, hmm. national need to do a better job of disseminating information and putting together a coherent plan of attack to stop this thing in its tracks. That's something I'm yet to hear or observe uh, on any of your news outlets, uh, etc. So, you know, how does this all relate uh, to the sports world and fan and player interaction and, and, you know, populating stadiums and arenas? Uh, You can't you can't deny that precautions perhaps need to be taken. To what extreme? You know, I think that remains to be seen. Uh, but being proactive uh, is fine uh, and perhaps necessary. It's better to be proactive than reactive. Uh, and that doesn't, you know, necessarily apply to just this situation, but in all situations. Uh, so that, that's where I stand. We just need more education uh, and, and, and you know, leave some Purell and some wipes and cleaning products for the next guy uh, on the supermarket shelves, will you? Fair enough. No, well said. So, Sam, let me paint the picture for you. You're a hardworking guy. You're working as we speak. Um, so you, you, you know, buy a, what is it, $50 ticket for a Met game in April, let's say. And, oops, Sam, can't go to that game because Major League Baseball has said, because of the potential spread of coronavirus, no fans. How do you react to that? Um, I, you know, I, I, they got to do what they got to do. I certainly wonder, like, I'm so ignorant to stuff like this. I wonder whether it makes a difference that uh, baseball, most of uh, the baseball stadiums are outdoors. Um, obviously, they're worried about, uh, autographs they're worried about uh, hands touching hands and, and stuff uh, constantly being you know obviously churned around with this disease um, so you know I kind of also put the kibosh on it really mattering one way or the other whether or not there's a dome on on the the game of play um, you know I, I mean it, it's just it's crazy to me I, like I know that We've obviously had these scares before. This one seems a bit different in some fashion. It's it's moving rather rapidly. Um, you know, I it it just still it it bewilders me that 
this is like, don't we always have to be concerned about this kind of stuff? I mean, not necessarily this specific virus, and this specific virus does happen to be traveling to the effect that we're hoping it doesn't become a pandemic. But I, I, I'd still like, I fall along the, the lines of letting the immune system do what it needs to do. Again, ignorance. This is just me going, you know, just from our own experience, obviously. And, and, and Mike kept saying the word. We need to make sure we're educated. We need to make sure we're educated, because you know I'm I'm I, and you know I'm I'm in the line of work where people are coming in and out of my car all day long. The last thing I really even have time to do is constantly wipe down the thing every single time, like before another passenger gets into it. So it's a concern, you know, thinking like I'm I'm unfortunately I'm still in the the eye roll phase of it. Uh, that I I you know I see these things come up and I. I sometimes feel as if there's partial scare tactics, but obviously the data is real, so I can't be a conspiracy theorist completely about it. So, you know, when, when it comes to, like, me not being able to go to a game because of the virus, then I'll be, even, I'll be that much more concerned at, at that particular point, you know, because obviously the ones that are the most susceptible – are, are uh, people with immune deficiencies as well as the elderly. Um, and, and I should be concerned about, about those folks, of course. But right now I'm, I'm still like, all right, let's, you know, I, I'm, I'm still not freaking out like, all, like so many other people are. Well, that's good. And um, I think that's where I am, too. You know, I'm I, I really not – I'm aware of it, and I do my precautions, but I'm not, like, freaked out. And But now, Anna, we'll go to you on this one to bring this one home. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you think it would be – let's just say, like I said earlier, it does get a bit worse and not better over the next month. And Major League Baseball takes this enormous step that we've never seen like that before, not even in wartime, you know, to play before empty stadia. What, what do you think of that? What, what would be your take? I think that would be such a shame to see. And again, it would absolutely matter on how bad this has gotten. Right now, today, the people who have passed away from this disease have all been, at least in the U.S., have all been from that one um, nursing home where it was, you know, elderly people, and they are the ones who are absolutely you know, at risk, um, people with, you know, weak immune system are at risk. I would hate to see baseball games without fans. I don't know if you saw LeBron James's um, answer to this question in a post-game interview. I think it was last night. He said, no way. I ain't playing games that, uh, that there are no fans. I'm playing for the fans. It also makes me wonder how the players are going to react. I get the initial warnings right now that Major League Baseball is saying with the don't take a pen from someone in the crowd. Um, you know, so I, I, can, I think I can be on board with that advice. So maybe you have the players, as they're there in spring training, with their own pen, and they're the only ones touching this pen, and – Maybe the owners can step up and provide photographs of each player, and the player can sign his photograph and hand it to a fan. I know it's going to be a little bit of a bummer for fans where they might have handed their 
baseball cap to Pete Alonzo and Pete would have signed his baseball cap or like a T-shirt and have Jeff, you know, McNeil sign the T-shirt. And, you know, so it will be a little bit of a bummer that way, but is there another way we can have them sign autographs where it could be as safe as possible but still have a fan experience? I do think it would be a shame to have baseball games with no fans. It would be unprecedented, of course. Like I said earlier, you know, we went through World War II, and they played before, you know, they didn't impact attendance at games. And right. and this is something obviously much different, but can you imagine, you know, with what the world was going through back then, and they still baseball went on uninterrupted, but it would be interrupted for this. I mean, maybe – um, I don't think it will happen. I think that would be an absolute last resort. I think what they're doing is probably the right thing, which is not touching fans, you know, because you just don't know. You just don't know. And then the right. other thing is I have tickets for opening day, and I'm going to just throw out your comments on this, any one of the three of you. I have tickets for opening day. Damn right I'm going. But would anybody, like, would you have reservations about going to a game if you had tickets and say, Geez, I know people are getting it in New York City. The guy in Grand Central, 1,000 people are on um, voluntary quarantine. I'm not going. I'm not putting myself in that spot. Would any of you react that way, or do you just go forward with what you're, you know, live your life? Just jump in. I don't, whoever wants to jump in. I would go forward. I would go to that opening game. Okay, Paul, Sam? I'm living, I'm living life normally for now. Yep, agreed. Yeah, Sam, I'm, Sam? I'm, I'm, I'm certainly going uh, to anything and everything. I'm, I'm not going to – I just ne- I, I just ne- have never been that type of germaphobe. I'm not about to start now. Yeah. Very good. And I, you know what, I have to admit. Rich? Go ahead. Yep. Well, what I was going to say is then we really need to think about it more, you know, beyond these sporting events. I, should schools then be open right now because there's hundreds or even thousands of people in a school? What about grocery stores? I know we need grocery stores, but should they be open? Because that's a lot of people you're coming in contact with. Um, You know, and it just goes on and on and on. And, you know, today is Sunday and there's a lot of people who go to church on Sundays. So should we not, you know, so should churchgoers not be going to mass? today because you know because again there's a few hundred people you know in one place and again it just goes on and on and on and I think people are right now very aware that if you are sick stay home from work that's what your employers have been saying and you know in the past people have gone to work sick I've done it because you're really busy at work and I got to get in and all that stuff, but employers are now saying just stay home if you are sick, and I'm hearing more people be much more attentive to that initiative. If people could do that, if they are sick, they stay home, they take the medicine they need to take, they get better before they go out, I think that will make a huge difference for everybody. I think you're right, and and I Definitely agree with that, everything you just said. Um, I'll leave it at this before we move on to to on-field stuff. Um, You mentioned church on Sundays. Well, for any listener who who, uh, is of the Catholic faith out there, as I am, I went to church last night, and uh, there was no holy water. 
I've never seen that in my oh. life. They said they're at a sign there that said because of the coronavirus, the archbishop has asked all all um, parishes not to have holy water. And for those who don't know, you walk in, you put your finger in there, you make the sign of the cross. No, I've never seen that. You know, going to church no, for you neither. know fifty years. Um, yeah, me so, Sign of the times, right? Um, all right, let's move to the Mets. I think that was a good discussion, though. And again, like I said, we we can't a, a bunch of adults cannot get in a on a in a conversation. I'll talk about that. So I thought it was important to do that and the potential impact. So, all right, on the field, I'm going to read something to you, Mike. I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, I'm going to read this to you and say this is a pitching line from yesterday's game. And I know it's spring training. A third of an inning, one hit, three runs, two earned, two walks, one strikeout, ERA after yesterday, 54. Now, that line belongs to Dellen Batances. And I know it was a spring training game, and it was his first outing and all of that. Um, I watched the game. Uh, what concerned me most was I don't think he got over 90 on the gun. And, you know, he said, you know, it, he said even when he's healthy, it takes him a long time to get up. Because this guy throws 100. And he said it, it always takes him a long time to get, get the velocity up and all of that. So I'm not so concerned about the pummeling, you know, the, the uh, numeric pummeling. But I am a little bit concerned that the stuff did not look good. And, um, I mean, these weren't – he wasn't getting bled to death. They were pounding him. So, Mike, your level of concern about Dylan Batantis because of his injury history with that performance yesterday. So on a, on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being you don't give a damn, 10 being your concern, what's your answer? And please explain Oh, I've been uh, somewhere around six or seven since day one since the signing, uh, just, as you say, because of his injury history. Uh, so, you know, I'll take him at his word that it takes him time to, you know, get up to that power point, so to say. Uh, but I am concerned. And, uh, you know, it's still early in spring training for him personally. Uh, pitchers have certainly thrown more innings than he has. So uh, without overreacting, I'm willing to let the rest of the Grapefruit League games play out and, uh, you know, ask me again just prior to opening day. Uh, but I'm a steady six, 6.5. Fair enough. Anna, what would be your thought on Dellen Batances? The prize piece of the bullpen will be better. Uh, right. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was concerned with the signing as well because, number one, I think a guaranteed $10.5 million for someone who pitched two-thirds of an inning last year is a lot. Um, so I was concerned about the money, number one. Um, then, number two, I'm concerned about the new rule that comes into effect that you have to pitch to three batters. And you you said he pitched to one batter, or or did well, he, he pitch to more than one batter? He gave up one hit. Well, he yeah he has officially got a third of an inning, but I think he pitched to five batters, if I recall, five or okay. six. He got one. Okay, gotcha. So um, you know, so yes, I'm concerned as well because I I would have felt a lot better if we could get someone in there that wasn't such a question mark last year our bullpen was such a disaster that 
I, you know, every time Mickey Calloway went to go put someone in, I, I would throw up my hands and go, oh, my God, you know, because a lot of times I felt he did that way too early in the game. But regardless of whether he did or didn't, it just was such a disaster last year that I would feel a lot better if this was more of a, you know, quote-unquote sure thing, not that there's such a thing. But um, so, yeah, I'm concerned. Yeah, and again, I think I'm Sam. I'm going to go to you in a second, but it, it's not so much the outing as it is the injury history. So, Sam, what's your level of concern? Um, I don't have concern based off of just this specific outing. You know, going back to when the signing happened, I remember that I, I believe I was at my my wits end with the Will Ponds. I I think you know I was thinking that with their uh, the off season, it was just more of the same right after we found out that they were selling, that they were sitting on their hands even more than they ever have. And then when they do spend some money, it's the exact same type of deal that we've seen, uh, uh, you know, 10 times over where they're getting somebody who has the potential of, of being amazing, who's been amazing in the past. Uh, and then, you know, we, we see that they – obviously you can't say that he can't handle New York. It's not going to be that type of situation because we know that he can handle New York. Um, but it just might be a, oh, the Mets yet again missed the mark with getting a player of this kind of caliber when he really could have been there. I, you know, in terms of the specific outing, I'm not really concerned because regardless of what the, the velocity is and whether it always has taken him, I mean, you know, I guess we got to talk to people like Sweeney Murray about whether that's the, the case or not. Talk to a Yankee fan. See if, see what they remember if they were, uh, uh, you know, a Yankee fan that pays attention in the spring. See if that happens. But considering this is his first outing, and, and like Anna said, he only got two-thirds of, uh, of, of an inning in last year, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really put too much stock in what he looks like specifically. I, I think maybe – he needs to keep throwing more simulated games before he gets more game action if he's getting hit that badly. I unfortunately haven't seen the highlights. Uh, I wasn't able to listen to the game either. But, uh, you know, if it really looks that poor, maybe he isn't ready and he needs to get, you know, some, uh, some, some fine-tuning, if you will. And yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm not in the mood for an experiment here you know, or this be the year that he spends the whole season fine-tuning and then he's great next season, you know, 2021. Um, and like Sam just said, it always seems to be, here we go. This is the kind of signing that the Wilpons have done again. You know, someone who has been good in the past and has potential, but there's the caveat of the last season or the last two season he's been injured, you know, and it always seems like that's the only thing we get in the winter. And we don't get me wrong. I didn't want Cole, especially at that money, you know, uh, last year I didn't want Harper and especially at that money, but we never seem to be going for the, Again, not that it's a sure thing, but the sure thing. Well, and Rich, and I'm I think... sorry to, to cut you off too, Rich. There was one other thing that I I, for, I meant to add 
to what Anna said about Mickey Calloway. The question is, how much of the bad bullpen was how bad he was at, at managing the bullpen and how much of it was just them being bad? It's probably a combination of both. I mean, you know, we right. were railing against we were railing against Terry uh, and the way he handled the bullpen too. But I, I think I could say with the a, a, a straight confidence that Mickey just didn't seem to have his, his pulse on on most in-game moves, which again, which is the kind of shade that was thrown um, uh, uh, towards Mickey's way. I believe it was when Louis Rojas was signed. Uh, and and uh, Brody Van Wagenen wanted to make a, 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 a specific point to talk about how Louis' in-game managing is fantastic. Well, yeah, I mean, and that could have been a little shade going on over there, so as well. Um, but you know where we are with it. I, I think I agree with everything I heard, basically. You know, just in summary, um, I thought Anna, you raised a really good point about you know Batansis coming off of an injury and having to face a minimum of three batters or finish an inning. But if he is in there, you know, and he has to finish the inning or or, or face three batters, I mean, that – Right. If he has a, a limited number of pitches in the arsenal because of the injuries, that could be a problem going forward. That, that could impact him. I, I think that was a, yeah, I, I think that was a really good read on that. And um, and I think – you know, And I I'll, hate I'll that my, rule, by the way. I hate that rule. <laughs> Um, you know, we've talked about that rule, and, and my thought on it is that baseball has to speed the game up. I, I really believe it has to, whether or not it's this or something else. Um, but, you know, it, it is going to change the game. There's no question. It will change the game in a, in a right. big way. Um, now, and the other thing about Batansis is that I think it's playing to our rational fears as Mets fans. Let's face it, we all have them. We're Mets fans. By, by definition, we're irrational. And so... What happens is it's everything you said. You know, we don't get nice things. We get the damaged goods, and oh my God, he's only throwing ninety. You know, it, it plays exactly into our worst fears. The good news and, is and can we I, have three weeks. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, no. I just wanted to say that that we should like. It's so easy for us to go. We never get good things. We never get get, get good things. But let us also point out. Yes. We have Michael Conforto, we have Jacob DeGrom, we got Pete Alonzo, we got Brandon, you know, Brandon Nimmo. I, I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I'm going to. I'm just going to say those guys. We've got good things, too. It's just the way you spend a $10.5 million to complement it. We have some issues over the years. Right, and I, and I won't tell Jeff McNeil you left him out, Sam. So, anyway, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so, exactly, um, exactly. Right. Um, by the way, Jeff McNeil has remarkable healing powers. Yesterday he didn't show up at the ballpark because they sent him home because he had the flu. Today he played. Okay. Um, good for him. So, um, all right, so moving on to the next topic. Let's talk about Stephen Matz. And, Ann, I'm going to start with you here. Stephen Matz, okay. um, he had more than 30 starts the last two seasons, so check on that one. Durability was a question with him, and he's, and he's pretty much, I think, put that behind him. Steven Matz is interesting, though, because he they put him in the bullpen around the middle of the season last year, which I never understood. He did not like it. He said that on the air yesterday after his start, that he wants to be a starter. He's a starter. You know, he'll do what the team wants, blah, blah, blah. But he, um, he definitely does not want to be a reliever. Um, you have Michael Waka and Rick Porcello, both of whom are pitching well, so you have that to think about. 
also have the lefty piece. It's interesting to hear the Todd Zeals and Keith Hernandez of the world say you, you should have a lefty in your rotation. So there's that to think about. And then one more thing before I go to you, Anna, and then I'll wheel it around. If we're hearing correctly, the Yankees are interested in Steven Matz. How interesting. Um, so Steven Matz is, an interest, is, a, is a piece to talk about. Between all those things I've just mentioned and the fact that is he a trade chip? Would you trade him? Would you gasp trade him to the Yankees? So, Anna, where are you with the whole Steven Matz thing? Uh, Steven Matz is definitely a hard one um, because I find he can be really good or have a really bad outing. And I find, like, there doesn't seem to be that middle ground. But I lean towards keeping him and keeping him in the starting rotation. I agree with the thought process that we need a lefty in the starting rotation. So I'm not sure which one said it, you know, Keith or Todd Zeal or both of them, but I agree. I think that we need a lefty in the um, starting rotation. I don't know that I liked him as a reliever either. I absolutely do not want him going to the Yankees. If for some reason they were looking to trade him, it cannot be to the Yankees. And to be honest with you, to anyone in the uh, NL East uh, like Wheeler, you know. Um, so I feel like starter for him. I do still feel like there's so much potential for him. Although, that being said, when do we say, okay, we've been saying lots of potential since 2015, you know? Um, so I'm not sure when we stop saying potential, but um, if he can stay healthy, I think we will be much better off than not if he, you know, was in the bullpen versus the starting lineup. Um, so I like him in the starting lineup. I think he could have a good year this year. Sam, what say you? Well, what would Grandpa Madsey think? That's the first thing that comes to my ah. head if he's wearing Yankee pinstripes. I mean, you know. Yeah. That's gonna, he's going he's gonna to have 1941 flashbacks. Sorry. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, that's a really good point. What does Grandpa Matt say? <laughs> yeah, Grandpa Matt's like, it's a load of malarkey. Well, we know that he... We, we can read his lips. Um, he wouldn't say malarkey, but uh, let's leave that for fight. No <laughs> politics talk. Okay, anyway, um, I, I, I think that you got to give he's, – he's been coming into his own. I've liked much more what I've seen lately. Obviously, he's still uneven. Like, you know, the you've seen flashes of brilliance. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a player like Jacob deGrom. Not many are. Uh, but, you know, when, when we're talking about, like, who could be the best in the rotation, like, everybody always had one of these guys as the best in the rotation before, you know, DeGrom obviously was, was you know, a, a, a generational talent. Um, I, I, I think I, – I know that it, it kind of worked. There was a lot that worked about Matt's in the bullpen, other than the fact that he didn't necessarily, uh, uh, you know, love it. But 
I, I, I still think that right now um, I'd rather, you know, it, sometimes I, I even tool around with a six-man rotation. I mean, I think that all depends on DeGrom even and what people – I remember that they did that at the end of 2000. I believe it was 18, and it actually right. worked well. Uh, you know, they, they were eight games over 500 in that September. Um, so, it, it, and again, I, you know, it does go to whether or not uh, it's a, uh, a good or bad thing for DeGrom, basically. Mike, with the six man rotation, I mean. Yeah, that that's a tough one. I, I yeah, I, I at times I think that is a good idea, you know, because you, these guys only have so many pitches in the arm, but they don't like it to, with such force that you wonder. So, Mike, take us home on Stephen Matz. You know, we've always said that his big his biggest problem was between the ears. Uh, he's going to be twenty nine mm-hmm. years old this summer, so let's see, you know, where his maturity level is. Uh, I'm hoping he's coming into his own. He's shown flashes of that. Let's see if he can put it all together through a full season. Otherwise, I'm pretty much in lockstep with Anna. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, he is, you know, the only qualified left-hander we have in the starting rotation. I think you have to go that way. Uh, You know, to this point, I'm just not impressed with Michael Walker. Uh, You know, I think that ERA that he's flashing after 7.2 innings pitch is a little deceiving. He's allowed eight hits and four walks, you know, so that, that, that's a whip of a buck and a, buck and a half. Uh, so I got my fingers crossed for Matt. I, I, I want to see him in the rotation. I have no, no uh, want whatsoever uh, of him pitching out of the bullpen, even though there's a dark of southpaw pitching on, in, in, the whole, in the whole pitching rotation, bullpen or otherwise. Uh, I, I just don't want him in the bullpen. He's a starting pitcher. That's what he's been. That's what he's going to continue to be. And uh, hopefully he's going to be better than he was last year and the year before that. You know, so let's see. And you can know, I just say one other thing? Go right ahead. Um, I just read today an article in the Post, and it was from February 25th, so, you know, just like a week or so ago. And they were saying that the Mets were talking about using that fifth spot to match up best against each specific opponent. You know, so if it was good to put the lefty in that day in the fifth slot, they were going to use Mets. And if it was better to put a righty in for the matchups, they were going to put, you know, um, what's his name, Michael. And I hate that idea. I really think that's terrible. And I get very frustrated with the Mets constantly doing this weird stuff, whether it's playing players out of position or, you know, something like this. It, it makes me nuts. The, don't even get me started. We would need a whole hour in itself about playing players out of position um, and why they keep insisting on doing that. But I do not like this whole, well, maybe it's Matt's in the fifth spot because of who we're facing, or maybe it's uh, Michael in the fifth spot because of who we're facing. You know, that almost sounds like taking analytics to a ridiculous degree. I mean, you know, right. um, you know we all love analytics. I, I do think being in – I'm not a 
huge saber guy, but I think making informed decisions makes sense, right? But it almost seems like that's just a little bit crazy. Um, you know, and I would say I agree with everything I've heard in the sense that when I hear talk about trading mats, I'm like, that's my WTF moment. It's like, you kidding me? I mean, you have a young lefty who, you know, granted he pitched to a four ERA last year, a little over four, but so did Syndergaard. And and you need a lefty in a rotation. He's homegrown. I just don't see it. I don't see why it would even be a thought. Um, and I honestly don't think it should be a thought to put him in the pen either. You know, put put Walker in the bullpen. You get that lefty right. starter. You know, the National League East, you have a lot of lefty bats. You have Freeman. You have Harper. You have, you know, all these lefty bats. You need something to combat that. Why would you take your only lefty and put him in the bullpen? I, I, I don't know. Um, I agree. So, all right. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I, you and I are going to have a lot of, lot of interesting uh, going back and forth on Twitter because I absolutely can't stand playing guys out of position. It, it is a thing that makes the hair on my neck stand up. Um, I don't know tr- why they keep doing it. I mean, they just, you know, look what they did to, um, I'm drawing a bl- Jay, you know. Uh, I don't know why they keep doing it. There's no reason to make a first baseman a left fielder. I mean, I know Dom Smith has no place to really play right now, so I kind of get that. But I, I just don't understand why they keep doing it. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a reason to do it. I agree with you. I, whenever, Dom Smith is not a left fielder, and teams that want to win a championship don't do that. They don't take first baseman and put them in the outfield. You know, it, it – it's like it's like buying a house on the beach saying, oh, it'll never flood. Well, of course it's going to flood. That happens. That thing, you know, the ball is going to find Dom Smith out there, and he's going to cost you a game. It's that simple. It will happen. And if that's the game that keeps you from making the postseason, then you have nothing but regret. So, anyway, I didn't, I didn't want to cut off on that, but that's my, that's my trigger. I cannot stand playing guys out of position. All right, so let's move to a um, – Sam, I'll start with you first on this one. Let's move to another topic, and it might seem minor, but um, but with regard to backup catcher, Wilson Ramos, you know, he's here, good, bad, or good or bad. You know, I do think he um, is a bit of a problem. Um, I know he, he hit pretty well last year, but I do think the defense is, is pretty bad. But, okay, he's here for another year. He's a starting catcher. How comfortable are you with Tomas Nito? Because, again, starting catcher is different, you know, the, the, because typically a catcher plays 120 or so. So about a quarter of the games, you're going to be going with your second catcher. Are you comfortable with Tomas Nito? Or Russell Martin, last time I checked, was still out there. 37-year-old guy, has been a backup, has been a starter. To me, he would be a perfect fit for the Mets. So, Sam, where are you on the whole backup catcher thing? You know, Russell Martin is intriguing from a backup perspective, and, and I haven't looked at what his career looks like currently. Um, I've been saying Rene Rivera the whole way. I think he, he profiles so perfectly with uh, this pitching staff. Uh, the last time Noah looked as sharp as ever was, other than that great Cincinnati game, was uh, against was with Rene, Rene Rivera uh, back there. But you got to wonder, I mean, if, like, Russell Martin can still give you what you would get offensively with Rene Rivera or Tomas Nito. Um, his defense is still there. Yeah, you, you have to say that a, a, a tandem of Wilson Ramos and Russell Martin 
albeit a 37-year-old one, is probably still pretty uh, pretty nifty battery tandem for a, for, a, for a Major League Baseball team. Mike, where do you stand on this one? Interesting. Uh, I wouldn't be averse to it then again. Uh, the man will be turning 37 years old, and you know what? The last couple of years, he's not throwing out base runners at a, at a very good clip. Uh, you know, Nito has youth on his side, and I'd probably lean that way. Uh, I think he has a soft pair of hands. So uh, I guess the answer, to answer your question, I'd stick with Nito. Okay, Anna. Um, this is a tough one because the batting situation hasn't looked great for Nito. He's been sub 200 uh, batting average the past, I think, two years. Um, Russell Martin's been a little bit better than that. He's actually had a year of sub 200 uh, in 2018. Um, You know, obviously he's had other years where he's had really good hitting years. Um, maybe the most recent really good hitting year was 2014. So that's a ways away, and he is going to be 37. Um, where is Jonathan Lucroy these days? Has he signed with anyone yet? Boston. Uh, okay. Because he would have been my choice, 34 years old, Still has, you know, some hitting. Um, But, you know, maybe it's Nito. Um, Maybe we stick with Nito. And, you know, he's younger. I really do like Rene Rivera, although I know he doesn't have a batting average to, you know, that we would be bragging about. But he seems to work well with our guys. They know him at this point. He's every year he always has one key hit for us, kind of like Luis Guillermo, right? Um, where he wins a game or something for us. But uh, uh, yeah, maybe maybe we stick with Nito. But All who's right. then the uh, number three? Yeah, probably Rene Rivera. And, and the thing—that's another thing about the 26 man on the roster. You know, do you use it? Do you use a third catcher? I'm not a big fan of that. I'd rather have a versatile player. Um, if, if you have that 26 man, I'd rather somebody who can maybe play four or five positions. Like Ed, Eduardo Nunez is perfect, and I'm thrilled they have him. But I don't know if the Mets would carry a third catcher. If they did, I'm sure it'd be Rene Rivera. Um, right. But again, I'd rather not. But we'll see where we go with yeah. that. So it sounds like consensus on the phone is is for Nito. Um, now, all right, so moving on, I'm going to start with you on this next topic. Well, since you just spoke, we'll keep you warm here, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a pitching line. This pitching line, this pitcher was 7-4 and four last year. Uh, he's a reliever, so the, the numbers are a little bit lower. So 7-4. and four. Um, He had a whip of .9. The previous season, he had a whip of 1.076. The man I'm talking about is Seth Lugo. Seth Lugo has clearly fallen into that role in the bullpen. And as far as I'm concerned, I think he's one of the most effective relievers in the National League. I mean, he comes in and he just gets the job done. I mean, what more can you say about Seth Lugo? Um, And I think, you know, I think we'd all agree 
that the guy has really come into his own. And now that's all well and good, but my but I'm hearing now that well, you know, whenever you hear Lugo spoken to, he's like, well, you know, I'd, I'd really prefer to start. I'd really prefer to start, and and that's a bit concerning to me. Let me give you another number: eighty innings pitch last year, fifty-six hits allowed. Wow. Um, so when I hear Seth Lugo saying, you know, I'd really much rather be a starter, but he's so effective in the bullpen. What do you do with him if you're the Mets? What do you do? I mean, do you, you want to keep him happy to some degree because he's going to have the choice to walk away from here eventually. But at the same time, you know, he's had that – he has that issue with his with his ulnar nerve. Uh, I'm not sure if he could, you know, go six, seven innings. And you'd be weakening something that is actually a strength right now with that long relief, you know, that, that middle relief thing. So, Anna, what, what would you do with Seth Lugo? Yeah, that is a tough one because you know how these guys feel when they do want to be starters and they stay in the bullpen. But he was, honestly, last year, he was the one shining light in that bullpen. I loved him. I felt comfort when he came in, um, despite the big uh, back-and-forth Twitter fight that I had with Mets Daddy uh, where he insisted I don't like Seth Lugo. I love Seth Lugo. I think he has to stay there. And I don't know how you make him happy because, you know, closers get big money because they have lots of saves. And then they get same because they have lots of saves and those middle relief guys get pretty much no credit. Um, you know, there's no award for a middle relief guy. Um, I don't know if you throw money at it or not, but look who we have as owners. So that's almost laughable for me to say, Hey, Fred, Jeff, throw some money at him and make him happy. And, and again, I don't even know if money would make him happy. Um, I do think we have to keep him there. And I know that's unfortunate. Um, you know, he's kind of in the Dom situation where Dom wants to be a first baseman, and if he stays on this team, he's not going to be the first baseman. I feel like we have to keep him there. He he really was such a bright spot last year. Mike, what say you? Seth Lugo, you know what? If you're the organization, you have to utilize him according to his strengths. You look in 2017 as a starter, and then you compare that to his last two seasons as a reliever. As a starter, his hits were up, his walks were down. As a reliever, his hits were down, and his walks were up, and his strikeouts were up. So whereas he wants to start, He's clearly more effective as a reliever. And, you know, herein, herein lies the dilemma. He wants to be a starter. But he's demonstrated, you know, to be somewhat ineffective on back-to-back duty assignments. So, you know, against his wishes. Well, when he goes think, long. Excuse me? I said at least when he goes long or longer, um, the back-to-back hasn't always been great. Yeah. 
Not always, you know, but uh, it is what it is. So as an organization, sometimes you just got to put your foot down, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, it, it would be very difficult given his success in the bullpen and his ulnar nerve, you know, which, like we've said, like some, like the Anna just said, he hasn't been as effective going longer, going consecutive days. Sometimes he needs two days off. To me, it's like one of those things where, you know, Seth, look, man, you, this is right for you right now, and it's right for us. We have to make this work. Maybe you throw a little more money at him to keep him happy, but this is where he needs to be. So, Sam, I, I didn't, certainly didn't mean to neglect you here. What say you on Seth Lugo? Uh, my, my thing, though, is, you know, you want to keep him happy, he may leave, but what organization is going to give him money to become a starter when he's built up a, a, a reliever? Uh, repertoire. Um, I, I mean, mm. I, I think that Mike, with the numbers, there. You know, going back to a word I used earlier, there's the data. Um, he's too effective. Like, uh, of course, you know, you 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 want him happy, but it doesn't seem like it's getting in his the way of him performing properly. Uh, I think when it all comes down to it, he wants a ring, and. Uh, it, it also doesn't mean that he's not going to start at some point. You know, I, th- I honestly thought he was going to get a spot start last year, but, I, you know, considering Walter Lockett got plenty, uh, it seems like the, the Mets are rather married to what Seth Lugo is to this team. And considering how uneven everything has been except for him, I don't see why you would want to go, uh, uh, you know, if, you know as, as the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, I think we have yeah. unanimity there. Um, all right, so we've talked about Seth Lugo. And as we turn the corner toward the top of the hour, let me say that you are listening to a Metsian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. And we have a very special guest tonight, Anna Bryce, talking to us all the way from Arizona. So moving to our next topic for the night, the Mets, uh, John Heyman said he thinks that the Mets could be sold in the very near future. Um, In fact, I believe it was about 10 days ago, he said maybe next week. Well, that would have been this week, and that came and went. Uh, But now we're hearing that Steve Cohen might still be in the mix. Um, We're hearing that the Dolans might be involved. So, Sam, I'll start with you on this one. I know we've touched on this on prior shows. Um, What is your sense of urgency around getting um, getting the team sold, getting it finalized, all of that. And would you feel like – how would you feel about the Dolans, Cohen? Do you have a, a, a horse in this race, or do you just want to get them sold and get the Wilpons out? What are your thoughts, Sam? I always say be careful what you wish for. Dolan would be <laughs> – Dolan, like you wanted the Wilpons gone, but now you got Dolan. And Dolan has been front and center – with dysfunction this week. Uh, we don't have to go deep down that rabbit hole, uh, but as we know, he's gotten some headlines. And that's not the Dolan we want. Um, I, I, like, it goes back to how perfect Cohen sounds. He, Cohen sounds like such the perfect guy. He, I, I, I forget exactly uh, – I'm sorry, the per- perfect person for this situation, not necessarily the perfect guy. Just want, just want to get, throw that out there. But I, I forget exactly where I read it, but somebody framed it as such that when it comes to 
like comparing and contrasting the way the will ponds operate versus the way hedge fund managers generally operate. It's like the, I think it said, I, I wish I could get that article and I, I know I tweeted it at some point, but basically more or less uh, it said that hedge fund guys are used to getting things done, making decisions and, and, you know, snap, 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 where the will ponds have always, you know, let things simmer, let things cook. It's like, yeah, we're, we're certainly talking about it before you know it, they've signed with the brave type of thing. Um, and so Cohen just comes back to being, yeah, he's, you know, now that he was, uh, that, that they dangled him in front of us like they always do, I want Steve Cohen. I think it makes perfect sense. You know, um, maybe Bloomberg, because he, you know, but he might have he might have just depleted his potential funds. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, well, he's not busy right now, so maybe that's something he needs something to do. Um, so, Anna, what, where are you on the sale of the Mets? Yeah, I want the a sale of the Mets as soon as possible. Of course, we want the right guy or woman in there. Um, I do not want Dolan. Dolan is the single reason I don't really watch the NBA or the Knicks anymore. Um, I facetiously told a girlfriend of mine who, you know, used to work for Madison Square Garden, I'm pointing my finger going, you tell James Dolan that I'm not supporting this team until he gets out. And at the time, uh, Isaiah Thomas is not in this organization anymore. And um, I really haven't been watching them since. And that's a while now. And I used to go to a lot of Knicks games. And... um, so I don't want Dolan. I don't think that would be replacing. I mean, look at the Knicks right now. They're a disaster. Um, and then and him, can I also you know, can well, I interrupt you know. real quick to say this, sure. this is coming from a Rangers fan. This is coming from a Rangers fan who knows, like, that, that, that's where you're like, all right, which Dolan would we get? But, like, the dysfunction is yes. too heavy with the Knicks to really think that, yeah. you know, as dysfunctional as we've been with the Will Bond, you just you can't have yep. it. Right. And, uh, but I never understood the deal, meaning that Steve Cohen would be happy with that five-year thing and Jeff would still have his hands in things. And I was like, why would you want that? Why would you want it to be that slow? Why would you put, you know, this money towards a team and then have Jeff's hands in it? And, you know, and then, of course, it fell, fell apart shortly thereafter. I, we definitely need a new owner. I thought Christmas had come early when we got the news that the Mets were being sold. Couldn't tell you how happy I was. So, yeah, we need a new owner because otherwise we're going to have the same winter every year where we listen to people on television say, the Mets are interested in, and then fill in the blank, top free agent, right? The Mets are interested in Mike Moustakis. And I look at the television, I scream at it, and I go, no, they are not. Don't even say that. You know, it's just such baloney. And, and again, then we always go for the person who's been injured for two years and could be good for us, and we pay him $10.5 million dollars. We need new owners. 
I and think a by lot the of way, I have communicated that over the years with the Mets directly. I have placed a phone call to them and two emails. To their credit, they have gotten back to me twice, where I have spoken to David Newman, who's the top marketing guy, and he listened to everything I had to say. He had said his piece. He, you know, but I've communicated it with the organization. I encourage others to do the same. Mike, I don't, something tells me you may have an opinion on the Wilpons. <laughs> I have an opinion about the Wilpons. Uh, but I'll tell you what, with regards to Mr. Dolan, you know, there's, you, you, you can ask my fan opinion, my Metsian opinion, uh, my local opinion as a New Yorker. Uh, here's my problem, and it's a business problem. I don't want this man amassing a monopoly. I'm a capitalist, Rich, but I don't want him amassing a monopoly. Because now we're talking SNY, MSG, both the network and the arena. We're talking about City Field. We're talking about the Knicks and the Rangers. And, and you know, that's one entity and control a lot of a lot of my discretionary and entertainment money. And, I, you know, I think allowing him to purchase the team uh, in a business sense is bad uh, for the local area. I can't say it would be bad for baseball, but I think it would be bad business for New York City to have this man in control of this many entities. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's where I stand on a non-baseball issue. Prevent the Jets from building a stadium on the west side. The man wields a lot of power and will do anything he can to, you know, uh, ward off competition. But he failed miserably with the Brooklyn Nets. I know this is a Mets podcast, but, you know, there was nothing he could do about that. Uh, so, no, I don't want him in control of the Mets for that reason. And you know what? I think it's, for me, the primary reason why I wouldn't want him to be Mets owner. Uh, secondly, I I have no appreciation for his uh, his tact demeanor or uh, his whole manner of behavior. Mm-hmm. I think uh, like I think most Met fans would sign on to everything we've talked about with response to that particular question. So, okay. Thank you for that. We have a couple more topics before we get to number 46 in our last word. So the first topic of which is um, we, you know, we pregame this show a little bit. And we talked about Cespedes and Cano. And we talked about maybe taking a look or, or talking a little bit about them and what we might realistically expect from either one of them. Um, they, you know, one is a huge question mark. You know, he's kind of on the uh, FBI missing person list and, you know, in Cespedes. And the other is someone who is a probable Hall of Famer, or at least close, who had a really bad year last year. So when it comes to Cespedes and Cano, um, let me ask the question this way. Do you have hopes for either? And tell me why you feel the way you do. I mean, uh, you know, Cespedes might play and do this, or Cano, 
he's done or whatever like that. So let, let's touch on Cespedes and Cano and realistically what we think we might get from them this year. Sam, I'll start with you. You know, with Cespedes, he's kind of got that, that David Wright flair and that you think, like, you, you've seen the last of him and then he comes back and, you know, hits it over the wall by, by about 30 rows. Um, so I don't want to underestimate Cespedes, but if you're playing the books, you've got to bet on Cano more than Cespedes. Because when you really look at the numbers, and especially the way he came on strong, I think the wrist definitely was bothersome and probably a big reason why he was never able to get into a groove. And he got hit on the wrist like twice in a matter of like two to three weeks. Uh, he started showing, like, while we were starting to come on strong with, uh, with the pennant race, he was starting to, to play better. Um, if I remember correctly, did he finish the season or was he injured again? No, he finished the season. He had that hamstring tear in early August, and they thought he'd be done for the season, but he was back by early September. And he played well, right? He did. So I mean, if you're a, if you're a betting man, you got to put your you got to place your bet on Robinson Cano versus Johannes Cespedes. But again, don't underestimate Cespedes, especially now that he's had 20 million taken away from him. And I, I hate I, I don't like being that person saying that the only motivation for Johannes Cespedes is money. I, I I just like this is somebody who came over in a fucking rack. So I don't want to to say that, but you know if I'm if it, it, it seems, you know, the Mets clearly had a beef with him. He, he said that, you're right, I agree. But now, you know, they left it up to him to get his money back. And so, it's, you know, if, if, it, it, it's something that could play a factor. I think it definitely could. No, nothing motivates, you know, don't ever us underestimate a motivated athlete. That, that's always in my mantra. So we'll go to Anna next on this one. Anna, thoughts on Cespedes Cano? Yeah, and I agree with Sam in the sense of if you had to bet one way or the other, I think Cano could have a good year. Um, Obviously, he didn't have a good year last year, but there were flashes of time where he was almost unbeatable. And and during the streak and all that stuff, and then he gets injured. And, you know, but he was playing well at certain points. And maybe it was a little streaky. I don't know. But there were times where I was like, okay, this is the Cano we wanted, you know. And then there were times where like, oh, God, you know, 0 for 20 or whatever, you know. So I feel like now that he's been here uh, for a year, been in the National League for a year. Maybe we could see something this year. But also kind of piggybacking off what Sam said, Cespedes, even when we first got him, and then I believe there was a period of time that he actually was injured. I don't remember how long, but he was hot when he came in. Then he was injured, and I remember being bummed that he was injured. And then he came back and, like, carried the team. You know, we go to the World Series and all that. So 
even though he hasn't played now for what a year and a half. Um, uh, yes, the year and a half. Right. I'm wondering if he is very much, you know, that there is incentive to prove people wrong, you know, prove naysayers wrong. I mean, does he really want to go out like this? Like that's how he leaves baseball or, you know, leaves the Mets and then goes somewhere else and who knows what happens. But I don't want to count him out because I feel like I have counted him out in the past and then he's come back just as strong or even stronger. So I feel like there's a possibility. I know that's not really an answer. If I have to say betting on one versus the other, I think Cano more so because he did play all year last year for the most part. He's been here a year now. I think the guys all like him from what I can see. He seems to be a good um, clubhouse force you know, uh, behind the scenes. And, you know, he's now been in the American League for, I mean, the National League for a full year. Mike, you actually broached this topic for discussion. So what are your thoughts on Cespedes Cano? Yeah, I asked for fun. I'm going to pick up where Anna left off. You know, uh, having spent a year in the National League, now we're going to get to see if he's making the adjustment. If, you know, his uh, fall-off was partly a matter of switching leagues. We're going to find out if his slide was due to age and deterioration. We're going to find out if, you know, his fall-off was partly due to injury, or all of the above. Hopefully he's healthy coming into 2020, and he remains healthy. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. As Sam says, he did get nicked on the wrist once or twice. Uh, So let's see. What I will say is that I want him nowhere near the top four, and I might even stretch it out and say the top five spots in the lineup. I believe Cano is our sixth batter. That said, you know, uh, Joanna Cespedes, man, he's coming off heel surgeries, and what's the worst-case scenario for him? Being an outfielder, there's a lot of standing around in that outfield in between pitches and even in between plays. If it doesn't come your way. Uh, and that can be brutal on his heels. You know, if he feels comfortable or if he has shoes that can facilitate his his production, you know, uh, I think he still has it in those hips to wield a pretty nasty bat. Uh, you know, both situations being equal, let's say both of them manage Let's say 350 of that. Who would have the better season? I'm struggling with that. However, I will lean towards Cano. You know, but I think this upcoming season is going to determine a lot about uh, Cano's abilities or inabilities or inavailability. So let's see. All right, fair enough. Um I think Cano's going to have a bounce back here. I think a lot of his problems were due to getting hit, as Sam mentioned, on the wrist twice within a like a three-week period. And holding a bat is hard when you have a, a wrist, you know, where it's tough to grip the bat. So 
I think the talent is still there. Sure, he's not going to be the Cano he was with the Yankees or even the first year with, with the Mariners, but year or two. But he is not. he's a better player than we saw last year. I hope he has it in him to do a little more you know, exemplary play on the field. I'd like to see some more hustle out of him. I do think he'll have a better year statistic-wise, but I also would like to see him play better in terms of um, – the example he sets, you know, run out a ground ball and stuff like that. It drives me a little crazy when he lollygags it down to first. Hopefully that message has gotten through because um, he is a leader on the team. I think a lot of the guys do look up to him. They see what he is and what he's done. Um, and then for Cespedes, I have to say anything the Mets get out of Cespedes is gravy at this point. You know, I don't even think about him. You know, when I watch the game, J.D. Davis in left, Porter in right, Nimmo in center, Mersing in center, I don't even think, well, we're Cespedes. How great would it be if Cespedes plays? Um, I, he's a non-entity, non-entity to me at this point. I've always liked Cespedes. I still do. And if he comes back and gives him something, that's great. But I just don't think we can count on anything. Um, and if we see him, that, that, that to me, that's a cherry on the Sunday. All right, so moving to our last topic before we go to number 46 and the last word. Anna, this one's for you. Um, you've moved out of the New York area, and today, you know, you, you noted that um, you really have an appreciation now for how good the Mets booth is. You know, with Gary, Keith, and Ron, and sometimes Todd Zeal, and you know Gary Apple. You know, the guys are filling a bit. So, tell us what it's like being um, a relocated New Yorker and not, you know, and having to experience other baseball culture. What's that like? So when I moved out here, literally the first thing I did on day one was get my cable MLB package. Now, the problem with the cable MLB package is it's hit or miss as to which booth you get. So that was my first experience. And the first few years, I didn't realize this, um, but the first few years I stuck with the cable package and then I would get – the other team's booth, sometimes I would get the Mets. And it would be about 50-50. And, man, do you appreciate when you can get Gary, Ron, and Keith. Hearing these other announcers, these other broadcasters, it is brutal. I keep going back to a game against the Marlins, and the booth kept going to Jeff Conine, and they just were, uh, I, I can't even describe it. They kept going, well, let's go to Niner and see what Niner thinks. Hey, Niner, what do you, and I was like, oh, my God, shoot me now. I'm screaming at the television. I'm like, shoot me now. I can't take this. Then I discovered, oh, I can do this on my iPad. And, oh, if you buy the premium package, which is like 20 or $30 more, you can get your home, you can get your booth every single game except for national games. So that's what I do, and I watch it on my iPad. And I honestly enjoy watching it on my iPad because then when I'm traveling, I bring the game with me. So I love it. And this is what I do because the Mets come on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So I turn it on. I may, when I'm doing work, I have to have background noise on. I have to have something going on. I was like that in college, too. If I was studying, I had to have the TV on. So game comes on at 4 o'clock, and I watch the Mets from, say, 4 to 7, roughly speaking. 
Then what I used to do, I liked um, I liked Jeff Francoeur. So when he was on Kansas City, when the Mets would end, I would catch about in the, an hour of the Kansas City game. And then when the Kansas City game would end, I would turn on to the D-backs. The D-backs booth right now is so bad. My husband thought I was exaggerating. He just thought I was being overdramatic, and he knows my love of the Mets booth. So he just thought I was um, really exaggerating. He sat down next to me watching a D-backs game, and he went, oh, my God, you were not kidding. This is awful. So I don't even watch the D-backs anymore because I cannot take their booth. So I used to literally go from the Mets game to the D-backs game because, you know, one's ending, one's starting, and I would kind of do that every night. I can't tell you the last time I've done it. I cannot take the game. And when you listen to these other teams, they are such homers. I can't take it. I cannot bear it. You have to admit, our guys are not homers. Not radio, not television. They are not homers. When you Even the booth I used to like with the D-backs, when it was uh, Mark Grace and Darren Sutton, the son of Don Sutton, they were good in the booth. They were definitely homers, but they were good in the booth. When you listen to the Marlins telecast or any of those other teams, they are such homers. It's so hard to listen to. I mean, even when you go back to our original broadcast booth of Bob Murphy, uh, Ralph Kiner, and Lindsey Nelson, they were not homers. That's what you get when you leave New York and you have to listen to these other guys. It's terrible. So the lesson in that is if you're a New Yorker and you've left the area and you want to watch the Mets, buy the more expensive package where you can watch either feed, right? That's the lesson in yeah. all things. And I, you, you have to. You have to. You can't do the 50%, you know, the other team, 50% your team. And I'm even at the point that I, one of the reasons I don't like missing a game is I don't want to miss a word of what Gary – Keith or Ron have to say. So I literally watch every game, win or lose, even if I know they lost. I still watch the game. May, may I, Rich, before you uh, you say anything, I, I wanted to say that I know what she means with, like, not wanting to miss a word. Like, it, it, I, I would sometimes watch the win when they became available on the archives when I had the package, but I was living in New York, so I couldn't watch the Mets. Uh, oh yes, but I, I right. Would, I would rewatch twenty-four I would, hours. Well, not even. It would be like three hours or something, like by oh, midnight or something okay. like that. Yeah, and so I would rewatch it, and sometimes I would just go to the the innings that the um uh the Mets scored. But like, right. I, I think a big part of it was like, you know, when you're watching the highlights, there was always there's always something that either Keith or Ron or Gary say that I want to hear the rest of. It gets cut off when the highlight is done. And the highlights are getting shorter and shorter so that you can get them up faster and faster. Um, when it comes to the booth, I mean, you know, I think the – I don't know the names of the Cubs guys, but it seems like they, they got it right. They understand that you need some characters. Everybody else is a little too vanilla, which is my problem with national uh, broadcasting. Um, but, you know, I, I give, give a shout-out to Gary Thorne. I really like Gary Thorne. And can somebody I still enjoy listening to him. 
Yeah, and, and did, did the Mets have him at some point? Because didn't he do the Mo Vaughn call? Can somebody tell he me did. about that? He did. Gary Thorne was in the in the radio booth, and um, eighty six. Uh, he was the radio. He was the radio guy. Yeah, and um, and he actually uh, just a little thing about Gary Thorne, which you know I I do like him, and and he's a part of my life from the eighty six thing, and he was in the booth of course for multiple years. But the one thing that, that always bugged me was he admitted that he wanted the Red Sox to win that World Series after the fact because he grew up a Red Sox fan. And that ne- I never forgot that. And and when he left, I was like, good riddance. You know, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, Tom, Tom Brenneman's gone now. Vince Scully's gone now. And those are the only names that I can think of off the top of my head. And even, even like, within our own City is an example of of the difference of how I mean like and what's so crazy about uh, on the uh, on the Yankee side is that some of them they got they got Mets they got ex Mets uh, doing it and you know David Cohn I love David Cohn uh, uh, so much but I, there's something uh, like his personality doesn't come out in the broadcast booth and I'll say the same thing with Michael Kay who I think is better on the radio, probably because he gets to be his, you know, he's just, I I think Michael can, like, be very Homer, but without being Homer, if if that makes any sense, Um, because, like, he doesn't sound disappointed. He's very professional when the other team uh, uh, um, scores and the other team does something. He's very professional about it, but he obviously, you know, wants the, the Yankees to win, and it's a situation similar to our guys, uh, that, you know, Michael K. grew up, I believe, in the Bronx, so he was a Yankee fan to begin with. Uh, but he's got his his personality on his radio show uh, comes out substantially more than it does in the radio booth. Well, and just to give you an example, what happens with these Homer broadcasts is, like, the D-backs um, broadcast booth constantly, they'll be like, well, we're just – two runs down so if we could get two more runs and tie the game we'd be back in business and I always say to my husband could you well no because he doesn't really watch the broadcast but I'd be like Keith Gary and Ron would never say we are just two runs behind and if we can just get the hitting going we'll be back in the ball game they never do that in fact they're critical of their of our our team our Mets you know, critical when you need to be critical. And so it's maddening. But, again, we've always had booths like that between the original guys and then all the in-between guys and the guys we have now. We've always had booths that were not homers. So it's maddening. And I'm always screaming at the TV when I come across these other guys. (laughs) Mike, you've been uh, silent throughout this whole discussion. Anything to add here? Well, like Anna and Rich, like you, I was lucky enough to listen and to watch the Ralph kind of Bob Mercy and Lindsey Nelson together. Uh, but since then, you know, we've had some good guys in the booth. Tom Seaver, Rusty Staub, Tim Carver. Uh, and I used to like when Frank Cashin used to sit in the booth. But uh, since the original three, you know, GKR are easily the best. Uh, and they have no filter, and I love it. And I particularly like when they break out baseball card night. Uh, that's a lot of fun, but uh, we we are definitely fortunate to have this trio, uh, and, and they make the broadcast. I mean, uh, a, a must watch TV. Put it that way. 
You know, fi- final thought on this one for me, then we'll move on, is um, the one name I didn't hear was Fran Healy, and I actually liked Fran Healy, and a lot of Mets fans couldn't stand him. But I actually liked Fran Healy. The funniest thing he ever said, Mets are playing the Expos in 2000, like right, right around 2003, 2004, when the Expos, when it was known they were being run by Major League Baseball, and it was known they were short-lived in Montreal. Very, very sparse crowd at Olympic Stadium. So foul ball gets hit, and um, and he says, and he goes, oh, you know, it's fouled off back into the crowd. He goes, actually, it's more like a focus group. I, I still think that's funny. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. But, uh, <laughs> I always thought he was funny like that. <laughs> I still laugh as I am now. Um, all right. So, so what, what uh, did you think of this pitch? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Um, all right, so this is the 46th episode of the Metsian Podcast with Sam Rich and Mike, and we are thrilled to have had Anna Bryce with us. And so two more orders of business here, and the first of which being we acknowledge Mets who have worn the number that corresponds to the number, the episode number. So Mets who have worn 46, let me go down the list briefly. Um, and I will tell you the thing that pops to me about this list you mean to tell me Neil Allen in 1979 was the first Met to wear 46? You know, 16 yep. years into the franchise history? 17 years I into know. the franchise history. That's right. weird. All right, so Neil, right. And then David West, you know, almost 10 years later, he was supposed to be the next, you know, the next Jerry Kuzman. David West wore it. Um, Ali Perez, I'm sure people have some comments on that. Um, Tyler Clipper, Chaz and Bradford, and uh, the, and one of Brody's midseason acquisitions that worked out so well last year, Brooks Pounders. Hmm. <laughs> so um, I will withhold comment. I will give Anna the first crack as our featured guest. Anna, anything you want to comment on any of these guys who, who've worn 46? Sure. Yeah, I mean, the three that stand out for me are Neil Allen. I mean, I liked Neil Allen, and he was a big part of our team back then, and he was good. Um Although it just feels like a million years ago at this point. But when I looked up the number 46 people, you know, this weekend, um, it brought a smile to my face. I said, oh, Neil Allen. So I did like him. Oliver Perez is a mystery to me because he, he was playing last year, if I recall correctly, and I can't even remember where now. But I'll be watching ball games, and Oliver Perez is coming in the game, and every time I'm like, wow, he's still playing. And one game that um, really sticks out for me was he was on the D-backs. I went to the game. My husband won an auction on the Howard Stern show, and it was Robin Quiver's charity and it was the prize was going to a game with Scott Farrell you know Scott Farrell he at the time had a serious um, sports show he's on CBS yes. Sports now and you know the gravelly voice guy and yep. so 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 we won it so I went with my best friend from high school my husband didn't even want to go so they came to the game with me and my girlfriend, Chris, and it was a blowout. The D-backs beat us like 13 to three and Oliver Perez came in and sure enough, he pitched well that game. And that's what I mean is like every time he comes in and then he pitches well, I'm like, 
what just happened here? How did that happen? You know? So he's just been interesting that he keeps showing up. He's even pitched well when I see him lately. Um, but it was hard watching him when he was on the Mets. And then um, Tyler Clippard. He was important for us that year in 2015. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I started that season. I remember my mother, my mother, the epitome of optimism. She always goes into the season, oh, they're going to playoffs this year and World Series. And I remember 2015 saying, get it out of your head. We're not going to be anywhere near the playoffs. I'm thrilled the season's starting, but we're not going to be anywhere near the playoffs. And then, right, July happens, and we're in first place. And then the rest of the season happens, and, oh, my God, we're in the World Series. And Tyler Clippard was really important in that stretch, that final stretch. So I do look back at it fondly, um, and then he left. I think immediately after that, right? Like, I don't think he was there another year with us. I think it was right after that season, but, um, right. Yeah. So, um, so I do look back at it fondly, you know, and again, Oliver Perez, I'm just mixed because I think we had a real hard time with him, but I keep seeing him on my television screen when I least expect it. Thank you, Anna. So we'll go to Sam next. Sam, number 46. I mean, you know, at first glance, I thought I was about to mention Bobby Jones, but apparently it's his bizarro world brother, Barry Jones. I don't know who that is. Maybe somebody uh-huh. can uh, uh, talk about Barry, who apparently it looks like was part of the uh, the 92 squad. That's not a good sign to begin with. Um <clears throat> I see Dallas Green is on here. Uh, I always think about Dallas. Um, you know, he, he kind of. Uh, I, I I I don't. I, other people have better memories of the era, um, but I always think like you know he, he's he, he. It's kind of another one of those we got you know one of those great managers a little too late, kind of like what we're talking about with these players, uh, because he did win a world championship with the Phillies but unfortunately had to come in here and, and be the adult in the room when, uh, uh, you know, there were a lot of children uh, to begin with, if you will. So, um, you know, and it, it is interesting. You know, I always hear Neil Allen, Randy Neiman, uh, you know, those, those are the uh, – Randy Neiman, I remember. I, I know Randy Neiman as the bullpen coach. Uh, obviously, a lot of people know him from, from uh, the mid-'80s. Um, and – also, looking at this list, you know, you guys touched on Tyler Clifford. I thought he lost it a little bit, and, and which is why I always thought um, Terry needed to not be married to the fact that Tyler Clifford was his setup guy in the World Series and just be paying attention to the optics and get Addison Reed in there. But that's just that's, – that's, that's the eighth inning of game four talking in my head right now. Um, right. Oliver Perez. Oliver Perez. Um, where to begin with him? Well, I remember that my first memory of Oliver Perez in 2009, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was it not Jed Lowry who took him deep for the first home run, technically first home run in City Field history? It was Jody Garrett, actually. Oh. As a Red Sox. No, um, no it was uh, Padre. 
Oliver Perez. Um, no, so I'm, I'm so I'm talking about the technical one. Oliver oh, Perez the, the, faced the, the Red Sox. Started. Yeah, before the season started. Right, right, right. right. And, and the, faced the Red Sox, and somebody looked this up for me since I'm driving. <laughs> is it was it Jed Lowry, which is kind of hysterical. <laughs> It may have anyway, been. Let's yeah. see. Yes, yes, that is correct. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went with Against my dad. Against Oliver that game. Perez. Against Oliver Perez. It was first, the first time any of us are taken in City Field. Well, I think there was a St. John's game right before that. And then the first Mets game was, was uh, against the Red Sox. And sure enough, they got their prize starting pitching re signing on their mound. And it's Oliver Perez. And, and what's so funny about him becoming a, a, a loogie is the fact that it, it just never would have worked as a Met. And we, we even entertained the idea. But I guess that he needed to fight for his baseball life afterwards, and he didn't care to do so on the New York Mets. And, you know, it's just it's unfortunate the way it went that no matter how good of a career Oliver Perez had, the Met fan will all, always hear the name Oliver Perez and immediately cringe. Immediately cringe. One of the most cringeworthy players to ever play for the New York Mets. Um, Manny Acosta. Speaking of cringeworthy, I don't need to say anything else. I always thought. I always thought. Um, I will say one other thing about Manny Acosta. I always thought that his back was a little too like he, he had too much of a humpback. I thought he needed to straighten his back out. But maybe that was just me projecting. Um, and. And Jason Bradford, one of those types of names that when you hear it uh, in this era, you immediately go, oh, great, another one of these guys. That's the type of name Jason Bradford had, uh, has. And, and, you know, you never know whether or not, well, I guess I'm not even sure where he is or not. But, like, it, it, it just says a lot about the New York Mets and what, where, you know, the, the Wilpon era especially – what like the way they have put us in there to immediately see these names that we don't know and not go, hey, let's see if we got something out of here. You know, we immediately go, Drew Gang Young, oh, come on. <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. By the way, I don't know if you just said it, Sam, but Jed Lowry's homer was a grand slam. <laughs> that kind of says it all, right? Talking about yeah, irony. Yep. Yeah. It was a grand slam against Oliver Perez. <laughs> That's a really good call. I, I, I did if, not remember that. If if I remember correctly too, was it was it a uh did it make it six nothing? Were there already two runs on the board? Yes, it made it six nothing <laughs> in the first inning. Yes. Lovely. Uh, it's just it's it's just an exhibition. That's all. Right. That's what we tell ourselves. So we're, we are running a bit short here on time. So, Mike, let me go to you on 46. Uh, very quickly, as a baseball fan, I want to give Ralph Terry props for being the 20-game winner in 1962 for the New York Yankees. Otherwise, for the Mets, you know, Neil Allen, he used to bring a lot of like, a lot of electricity out of the bullpen when he played for the Mets, and I can see why Whitey Herzog wanted him so badly. Uh, but he was a good Met. Uh, didn't work out that way for the Cardinals necessarily. Uh, I guess that's uh, getting the best of both worlds, right, as a Mets fan. Craig Swan, always props to him, even though he only won the, uh, the number one season, his rookie season. Craig Swan, Craig Swan couldn't stay healthy, but he was otherwise a very good pitcher for the Mets and won an ERA title. Uh, 
And very quickly about Ollie. You know, a lot of props to him for his performance in the 2006 NLCS. And it's rare, you know, we say a lot of things on the podcast, but it's rare that we actually go back and revisit things that we say. I wanted Oliver Perez re-signed. And, well, we all know how that turned out. So I figured I'd throw that out there. (laughs) Excellent. Um. All right, so we have – we've run out of time is what we've done, and, and it's been a great conversation. The time absolutely flew. But I do want to um, do the last word of episode number 46 of the Metzian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. So we will go first to our guest, Anna Bryce. And I want to say, before we give your last word, please uh, give us where we could find you on Twitter and uh, you know any other shameless plug you'd like, and then give us your last word for tonight, please. Okay, so my Twitter handle is very simple, and it's just at Anna Bryce, A-N-N-A, and then B-R-I-C-E. And again, I have, um, you know, my marketing company, Pinnacle Peak Marketing, and Pinnacle Peak is a beautiful mountain out here, so if you ever come up here, we can go hiking to Pinnacle Peak Mountain. And we also have a vacation rental here uh, right near where I live in Scottsdale. Uh, we have a beautiful condo that, you know, especially during the winter, it pretty much gets, you know, booked up. And uh, so if you're ever looking for a place to stay, we have a rental. And last word baseball-wise is I'm just very hopeful. Last year was, you know, It was a miserable year for so much of it, and then we had that streak that felt like we would never lose another game. So even though it was a really bad year at times, we had a really good year at other times. And the way it ended with Dom Smith and that home run to win the game when we were losing, you know, to go into the winter with that, oh, my God, I can't believe this is the way that year ended. I'm just hopeful that our bullpen can figure it out. Mickey Calloway seems like a real nice guy. He was not the right manager for our team. I can't tell you how many times I was screaming at the television because he took a pitcher out because they hit the magic number 100 and it didn't matter that they were pitching well or not. He, you know, he took him out. So I just don't think he was the right guy. I'm hopeful. I wanted Joe Girardi as our manager. He's not our manager. I'm hopeful with Rojas. Uh, He seems to be a very positive force. The players like him. So I'm really hopeful this year, not like I was in 2015 where I told my mother we're not going to be anywhere near the playoffs. I'm hopeful this year. Nice. Sam, what is your last word? Oh, sorry for Sam. the delay there, folks. Hi, sorry for the delay there, folks. Um, my last word is excitement. One way or the other, you know, we're always going to be a little tentative, but I'm looking forward to this baseball season starting. You know, the closer it gets, it, it's just as we were uh, approaching the first time there was televised baseball I really couldn't get excited, and maybe because it was February 22nd, I felt like it was just felt like a little too early. But now that we're in March, 
now that we're uh, closing in on the 10th of March, how time flies, I uh, I can't wait for the season to get started. Let's see what we really have here. Let's see if, if you know, there's so many different things to, to, to see what we have. And, uh, you know, first and foremost is Louis Rojas. I'm, I'm very curious to see whether he could settle in for a 30-year reign. I just jinxed it by even saying that. But, um, you know, he's young enough that maybe there, there's, uh, you know, hope springs a turtle. So let's go Mets. Mike, what's your last word for tonight? Copacetic, Rich, I'm pretty happy with everything the way it's going. No news is good news. That being said, I'm going to defer my time back to Anna because I'm sure she has nice things to say about my fellow Brooklynite, Lee Mazzilli, that I know will make me happy to hear. <laughs> yes. So growing up as a teen girl, uh, Lee Mazzilli was my favorite player. And I even make my script L's to this day, the way Lee Mazzilli makes his L's. So I, my script L's are Lee Mazzilli's script L's. And, you know, I had my posters on the wall and things like that. And uh, even down to his birthday, March 25th, is my half birthday. So I loved the man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I mean is I loved him. And uh don't think he got a fair shot in Baltimore uh, managing because he did, you know, he did okay. And, but I think they're crazy owners as well. So, um, but Lee Mazzilli would love him back in our organization. You know, uh, Mazzilli was one of my all-time favorites. And, um, and it used to kill me to see him coaching first base for the Yankees. And if you remember that yeah. game when he sold, um, he sold interference to the umpire, uh, I think it was yeah. Zeal. So Zeal's playing first base, and I think it was Knobloch let off the game. And he was going to second, try to stretch single to a double, thrown out. Shea Stadium, oh, great, blah, blah. Then Mazzilli is pleading his case to the first base umpire that that Zeal interfered, and they overturned it and let Knobloch stay at second. And it killed me to see Mazzilli actively hurting the Mets like that. Um, mm-hmm. I always felt he was a Met. He should have been a Met when he was in the SNY booth. I loved every minute of it. He was great. Why he didn't stay, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, Maz was one of the best. Um, all right, so we have gone over time. I hope everybody is okay with that. Um, and I'd like to thank you for listening to the 46th episode of the Metsian Podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. Special thanks to Anna Bryce, our guest. Anna, it has been an absolute pleasure talking baseball with you. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate you inviting me on. We'll have you back soon. And to Sam and Mike, gentlemen, always a pleasure talking Mets baseball with you. That's why we do this thing. And thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Rich. Bye. Thank, thank you. you, Rich. Thank you. Sam, take us out, buddy. Let's go, Mets. Let's go, Mets. Take care, everybody. Good night. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.